Hello, everyone, and welcome to Griplock Foundation Disc Golf's weekly podcast. I'm Hunter, joined always by Trevor, and we have a few things to talk about this week. There's some tournament news um, now that disc golf's actually started back up, which has been nice over the past uh, month or so. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and then just a few other things that uh, top talking points we want to get into, and I'm sure some of them will lead into rants that will lead to something else. So um, to start it off, we had the Lair Championship uh, this past weekend. It was a B tier up in Montrose, Virginia, which is about two and a half, three hours away from us. It was at the, um, I'm going to say infamous Lake Marshall. Yeah, the course that we hear these things about, and we've never played it. Yeah, the course that everyone always tells us, you've got to go play, but, I mean, when are we going to drive three hours to go play a course? It's it's tough. It's a tough decision to make. We will eventually get out there, but uh, not sure exactly when it's going to happen. But, there, I mean, there were some big names, especially Virginia-wise, some Virginia big names, but um, taking it down was Zach Melton uh, shooting 10-62 first round, 10-11 second round to go 15 under through two rounds. Uh, second place was uh, more Virginia local pro, Matt Hammerson. Uh, he's 10-28 rated, yeah. which um, is a lot higher than I thought. Last time I played with him, he was like 10-10 rated, so he's gone up quite a bit. Um, I don't know if his plans are to ever go on tour, but um, with a rating like that, uh, that means his play has been consistently good enough that he probably could make it if he decided to. I'd say, yeah. And then we had a three-way tie for third, between some uh, Virginia powerhouses, I'll call them Sam Shiley, Jonathan Burns, and Charlie Bearhorst. Um, all three shooting 11 down and averaging well over 1,000. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping there's coverage of this tournament. I actually didn't even look that up. I'm not sure. I love when there's coverage of Lake Marshall because I love watching it. Um, but it just makes me want to play it more and more. On the women's side, we had two players uh, out there and taking it down was Lily Marr. Um, averaging it looks like about 845 rated. So 845 rated golf. Um, so we, I just wanted to kind of go through that results really fast before we get into what was a little closer to home uh, this weekend, which was the Battle for Bedford. Blue Chip Technology sponsored the event. Uh, the Blue Chip Technologies presents the Battle for Bedford, hosted by Bedford County Parks and Rec. We had to fit a lot in that title. Yeah, it was quite a mouthful. And you'll, you'll notice we were not in that title foundation disc golf but we were putting on the event we sponsored a deck <laughs> yeah. and it wasn't even us technically it was our fans yeah, it was yeah. The foundation nation but yeah we we ran the event it was um by far the most added cash of at an event i've ever ran it was awesome we had 140 players come out to it which was um insane i think it's got to be uh one of the best turnouts to a tournament in this area uh, which just speaks to kind of the growth of disc golf around here. Um, and that did help that we had the likes of Paul McBeth, Barry Schultz, Lance Brown, uh, Schwebby, Brody Smith out at the tournament. Jeff yeah. Corns, can't forget Corns. <laughs> yeah. um, we, we had some uh, some very good players, the best in the world being Paul, um, and some other world titles, world title holders out there at the event. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. Um, so before we get into the results and stuff, I just want to thank everyone who came and everyone who had any part in the the tournament itself, um, especially Blue Chip Technologies. Yeah. Uh, Rob Stark was a, a huge supporter of the event, um, went above and beyond to make sure we had everything we needed from players' packs to added cash to literally anything we could dream of. Oh, yeah. He was super supportive and just wanted to, to grow disc golf in Virginia. Um, and so I'm looking forward to being able to partner with him going forward. But even just with this event, it was... Uh, 
an amazing turnout. So yeah, I mean the event definitely ran really smoothly, and I think that's a big part of that is to our volunteers, the players, the spectators, everybody cooperated, and you know that we can only do so much as Hunter and I running around, you know? So, you know, big thanks to everybody who took part in that. Yeah. Um, so let, let's get through the results really fast. And then I think there's a few talking points at this tournament, at least on the running side and uh, trying to do coverage of it kind of brought up to our attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll run through the, the results really fast since I haven't pulled up. Um, I know you don't have pulled up right now, but um, taking it down was Paul Macbeth shooting an 11 under. He went 10:38 first round, 10:57 second round. This course is no joke. So, Actually, you'll probably see it because yeah. so second place, we had Barry Schultz, who came in second with a five down, lost the Paul by six, averaging about 10.25 rated golf. And then third place, there was a two-way tie at one over par between Philip Bartholomew, who's a 10.10 rated player, and Justin Rozak, a 9.80 rated player. So quality players, um, but that just shows how tough this course was. There's only two players under par in the entire field. Yeah, I mean, we had, in the weeks leading up to this event, we had watched... Paul and Brody go out to practice quite a few times and we had played it a few times yeah. and whenever you see Paul like struggling to shoot under par you know that that's a legit course yeah so and especially there this, well, first off Paul designed these long tees mm-hmm. um and so I think it's one thing if players are shooting over par because of artificial OB and gimmicky stuff but this no. is I mean there was OB yes yeah but the OB was it was natural OB per se. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like a fence line. The fairways are relatively true. There's a few holes where you have to get a little bit of luck, but like almost every hole, if you hit the line, your result is going to be good. Cause yeah, there's a lot of trouble left and right, but the fairways are, are clean. Yeah. The so, course is just tough. Yeah. Like, that's, it's very that, difficult. That's what I was trying to get across is like, it's, it's not like a, a people were blowing up because of OB. There's a no. few where you're throwing in a pond or you're throwing across a Creek and there's, I think there's two Island greens for the pros. So, there was a few potential blow-up holes, yeah. but for the most part, as you'll see in the coverage that's coming out soon, depending on when you watch it, it might already be out. Um, it, it's it's basically like just the way the course is laid out, the distance in the woods and yeah. the shots it calls for make it a very hard course. Yeah. I mean, you got to throw distance shots through five-foot gaps off the tee, basically. So it, it's like a IDGC. It, yeah. It's kind of what yeah. it reminded me of gaps wise. Yeah. You got to, you got to hit that first gap or you're making a bogey. Basically. Yeah. It, it's fair. Cause like you, and, and the AMT kind of takes that away. So the yeah. AMTs were fun. Um, actually, if we look at advanced, um, they were under par. Weren't no. They? So or the advanced winner was Hunter Dawson. Huge shout out to him. He had a great tournament. Um, but he shot two over. That's why they, they played, did play they mixed, played mixed longs yeah. second round. Um, so there's actually only two people under par. For the whole tournament. Nope. Three. Ken Taberski. Yeah. He shot six down playing the mixed yeah, long shot way out. Ken Taberski. He shredded. Yeah. He went 10-23, uh, They played the same mixed long layout that uh, the women played. And on the FPO side, we had Elaine King taking it down by one stroke over Hannah Macbeth. This was... A late drama. Yeah. It was... Hannah was down three strokes with three holes to play. Mm-hmm. And the last three holes on this course, there's one very tough par four. And then two water holes. Yeah. And the water carry on the first hole is very tough. On hole 17, the water carry from the AMT, it, it's a pretty pretty tough shot. It's yeah. not distance-wise, it's not from the AMT, but it's a straight shot. You got to hit an initial gap mm-hmm. and then have a disc slowly move to the right pretty yeah. much. Second tee is pretty wide open. Sure, so, yeah. Um, but Hannah was able to pick up two strokes on the par four, 
um, which that was great. That just, I, did, I wasn't out there watching it. Um, yeah. I think you were filming at this point. So we didn't get to actually witness it, but I was looking at the live score. But Han was able to pick up two strokes on the par four, which you know, isn't super shocking because if you get off the fairway, yeah, it's going to be hard to get back. Oh, yeah. Very tough hole. Um, but then she was able to pick up another stroke, I believe, on 17, um, something like that. And then hole 18, they went into tied. I know that is a fact. Yeah. <laughs> the, the other two, she picked up strokes somewhere in there. Uh, hole 18, they went into tied. Yeah. And Elaine King was able to birdie it and Hannah part out to lose by one. But great play from both of them. And then coming in third place, we had Natalie Ryan, uh, who was three strokes behind Hannah. So 22 over, 23 over, and 26 over. Um, and Elaine King looks to have won averaging about 9.15. Yeah. So It's competitive golf all around. Yeah, for sure. And this was actually our first time taking on coverage of a round, of a tournament round. Yes. Um, which, you know, you have spoken to this in the past, but the past when you've spoken to it, uh, it's been just from like a perspective or from a, a fan's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, not as much from like a tournament director for me and uh, like filmer for you's point of view, but you've spoken to in the past and we already got some hate for it, as I'm sure we're about to get a little bit more, that Woods Golf just can't be really the future of disc golf. Yeah, it's a disappointing reality um, because whenever we're playing in the woods, there's so it's so much easier to make courses difficult without getting too gimmicky and just yeah. roping everything off. Um, but this is my first time like actually going out there and trying to cover and like also keep spectators in line, which I had volunteers luckily to help me do that. But you know, we only had we had two cameras and you know, a crowd of a maximum of 50 people. And it's a legitimate challenge in the woods, especially when you're in the, in the tight woods, like we were filming. I mean, you'll notice a lot in the coverage. It's a good thing. We had a catch cam because off the tee it's, you can't get wide views. A lot of times, you yeah. know, you can, you can see the initial release, but a lot of times those gaps are so tight, especially if a player moves in front of the path of the disc, there's just no way to catch it with all the trees around. So when you're talking about from like a commercial standpoint, as far as like what, you know, our goal of like live broadcasted disc golf on TV, like it's just, unless they figure out a way to put cameras in trees, um, it's, <laughs> get some tree stands. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's a way with like an extreme budget that it can happen, but it's just not convenient. Well, I think the tough part too is like when a, a disc is a lot less predictable in the woods. Well, yeah. And the open, when a disc comes out of a player's hand, you kind of know where it's going. Exactly. You kind of know, oh, this is on a little bit Annie. It's going to turn and yeah. yeah, it's fighting out. So that's easy to film. But when it's in the woods, if it gets pulled right and it gets behind a tree, you have no idea when that sucker's just going to yeah. randomly kick back out of the when woods. When I got Lance Brown lining up an overhand, I'm just like staying wide in the, in the film and then like, <laughs> I hope I catch this. Um, it's, it's difficult. And it, you know, like I said, it's, it's disappointing because, you know, woods golf is very fun. It's very exciting to watch um, because you know, for instance, the first round, Paul, you know, he shot under par and he was in the lead, but he struggled a lot that round. You know, he was, he was not having a good time. And I think Woods Golf does that to somebody because you can miss lines by just inches yeah. and get just punished brutally It's almost for it. better in the woods to miss by like feet than inches. Oh yeah. Because inches gives you a hard kick foot. You might just knock straight down or you yeah. get lucky, but it, and it's going to, it's just going to mean that there's a challenge for course designers to make open courses, you know, that are wide open grassy fields you know interesting yeah without just overusing the same old things yeah because i mean the 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 kind of other side is if we took woods woods golf and we made the fairways a lot wider right to where 
you could cover it easier. You could, because I mean, at Worlds, like Northwoods, um, I mean, there was hundreds of spectators and there were some holes that were not great for spectating. Like yeah. you, you, they would tell them like, hey, do not be behind the tee. You're not going to be able to see anything. You need to go up here. You need to go over here or whatever it may be. Um, and there was, I think there was one or two holes that like, if you weren't one of the first like 50, 60 spectators, you weren't going to see the hole. Yeah. Um, but at, with that being said, the like probably 80 to 90% of the course, which is the majority of it's wooded was pleasurable to watch, watch and coverage wise, you weren't really missing much. Like you could see the disc, the majority of the flight and stuff like that. Now, granted it was Jomez, who's the best of the best covering yeah. it. So that could be slightly different, but I mean, still I think that open, not open wooded courses, but wooded courses that have like really wide fairways. Yeah. In my opinion, could be the future of the sport. Yeah, I mean, it could definitely happen. I'd rather, I'd definitely rather see a guy miss a wide fairway and have to scramble by hitting a narrow gap through trees than just miss a fairway, land beyond a flagged area, and then re tee or take it from where it went out. You know, it gives a chance for players to be a lot more creative because, you know, these open courses, we lose the chance to see guys throw you know, a cut roller. Like we, we, I got to see that. I got to see like Paul, you'll see, you know, at one point there was a really cool cut roller to save. I, you know, I saw, uh, Lance and, and Barry throw really cool, you know, putter shots to get out of trouble in the woods. Yeah. It's a lot more creative when you're in the woods because yeah. you have to make the disc do things you wouldn't normally do. Sometimes you get out in the open and it's like, okay, I went out of bounds, but you know, now I just take it from here and throw another big hyzer. Yeah. I think that's the, to me, that's one of part of the like intrigue of disc golf yeah. is woods golf. Oh yeah, like, for sure. And that's also one of the great things about disc golf is like if you have twenty acres of woods, what the heck are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. Especially without cutting down a lot of trees, you could put in a disc golf course easy. Yeah. Uh, so that that's obviously not on the future of the sports side because woods golf will always exist. I think that's one thing that you know when we talk about some of these topics that we've talked about in the past that people like forget is we're talking about the pro level yeah we're talking about like not even just the pro level but like the tour like whatever is going to be our highest standard of production quality yeah and that's all we're concerned about some of that will trickle down yeah so like if if small baskets became a standard in the future for for instance we talked about that and if small baskets became the standard on tour Mm -hmm. then players who are coming into the sport might be confused by big baskets on courses and there might be some courses that start to put smaller baskets Yes, I understand that. But when it comes to like woods golf, like you're, I think woods golf, it, I don't know where I stand on woods golf being the future or not, but regardless, woods golf will always exist in the sport. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, but I can see, I can understand where from some aspects, it's less marketable. It might be harder to coverage, especially with our current technology yeah, well, that disc golf has. Um, cause your, your, your phone coverage is basically what we're streaming off of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's better than that, but to a certain degree, it's not, um, that's obviously going to be worse in the woods, yeah. but you know, so maybe as our technology and budget advances, some of the woods golf problems can be solved. I hope so. But uh, to me, I think that courses like, uh, WR Jackson, like Northwoods, like, uh, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the other wood I can picture it in my head, but I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, Oh, like uh, Vermont. Yeah, yeah. Smuggler's Notch. Some of those courses where, yes, they're in the woods, but it's not like North Carolina or Virginia Woods Golf where we're talking about like you're hitting small gaps yeah. and you're trying to throw 400 feet. Um, which I, Vin Horse has a few small gaps, but as far as fairways go, they're relatively wide. 
but at the same time, you know, courses like that, I agree, are not the future. But I don't want to rule out woods golf as a as total. Yeah, it's not being the future. It's just gonna have to be a bit more particular, and I'll be interested to see, you know, if the pro tour decides to kind of filter them out as they move forward of their schedule or if they, you know, try and keep it as a part of the game. Cause it really is going to be up to them. Yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, at the end of the day, pretty much the future of the sports in the pro tours hands, what, what they're doing, what they're yeah. not going to do that that's going to change pretty much everything. Um, but yeah, I just, I would hate so much to see woods golf disappear. I agree. Uh, and so hopefully that's not the case, but I, I do like the idea of open golf because there's, there's no limit on spectators yeah. really like it's how many people you can fit in a field. But at the same time, there's gotta be something that you can create. There's gotta be something where players are still, players are still scrambling that, that cause I think yeah. that's the key for disc golf and keeping disc golf. Interesting is the scrambling part. Cause even in ball golf, which yeah. is mainly well, wide open, you, you're still going to have tiger in the rough. You're still going to have tiger having to hit weird shots in between trees on the side of the fairway. Yeah. So if we can figure out what is disc golf's rough, because yeah. right now the best rough disc golf has is trees. Mm-hmm. But like, what can we do in the open that provides us with that same type of scramble feel, the same mentality of a player's like, Oh, I'm in the rough. What do I do that the trees provide us that woods golf provides us? What can we do in the open to keep the disc golf excitement? Because if, if that is the future of the sport, if we do have to go to mainly open courses, disc golf could get very boring, very fast. Yeah, I agree. Um, because you know, yeah, for like a new spectator, like somebody who's new to watching disc golf, like seeing a disc fly through the woods can be way cooler. Um, and I, and I'd like in ball golf, the advantage they have is like, if, all you have to do is leave the grass a little bit longer and all yeah. of a sudden it becomes yeah, that, a hard that's shot. Easy, yeah. Disc golf. Yeah. We've talked about things like the sand trap, like having to stand in that or, you but know, I, ma- yeah, maybe you're off the fairway and you have to do a standstill stuff like that, yeah. but it's, it's tricky and artificial stuff is in my opinion is very touchy. Yeah. I mean, we've seen like uh, the, the mozzarella, mozzarella sticks, the DGC. What are we doing? For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, who might be newer, they're basically wooden, poles that um are like next to the basket on certain holes at winthrop like really close very to close to the basket to where you might not have a putt if you're on a certain side and the, the idea is they're trying to give the hole some more defense and make you throw different shots but they look hideous in my opinion they look out of place yeah more importantly because you could probably throw those on certain like wooded courses that and you would never and, notice. Anyway, at least like look a little bit themed but yeah. they're at way out of place yeah so and like i don't have a problem with elevated baskets as long as they're like tasteful and not hanging or like 50 feet in the air like well could, i don't mind elevated baskets if that's the only danger on the hole yeah like if you're putting an elevated basket right next to the water stop <laughs> think about what are you doing but if it's just a wide open hyzer and you're like well i want to add something to it then i have no problem yeah. with the elevated basket i do think like and water hazards are probably you know the best kind of obstacle we have for an open course, but obviously you can't always just have water hazards. You can't always just have build a course around a lake. So I'll be curious to see like what they figure out. Yeah. Cause I think part of the issue that, cause I like, I like the sand trap. I like the, you know, hazard and standstill. I like that idea when it comes to like the difficulty of disc golf. Yeah. But when it comes to the viewing pleasure, 
that doesn't add the same amount as Woods. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it adds as far as, oh, he just landed in a sand trap. Like, ooh, that, that initial moment. Yeah. But then the throw out of it doesn't add the same as, oh, he kicked off the fairway. Let's see if Paul can throw something miraculous. Let's see if yeah. Schwebe can throw this sick thumber through the woods or, you know, Eric Oakley throw a felon roller that gets him next to the basket. Like, that element disappears in the open. Yeah. And I think that is what makes disc golf so exciting currently. And I just, I don't think there's a way to do it in the open. I, I just, I don't think that exists because what makes, what makes the scram, like scrambling so fun and so entertaining to watch is simply the amount of trees that players are having to kind of get through to get to the basket. Yeah. So just, at, just making disc golf harder in the open doesn't really solve the whole issue. It's an interesting dilemma for sure. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely interesting. I think it was something that we probably should have talked about when we brought up the sand traps and stuff, but I didn't really think through it until I started thinking through <laughs> why I like woods golf. Cause yeah. woods golf is even more fun to play because there's something like, Oh, I agree. There's something just satisfying about it's fun to the play fairway and you're like, you throw this sick forehand Annie that pans to the basket. Yeah. It's fun to play, but it can be frustrating. Oh, well it's fun to play when you're playing well. Yeah. When, when you're, you're not playing, playing well, when you're not playing well, it's a lot more fun to play in the open. Yeah. Cause then at least if you mess up by five to 10 feet, you're fine. Yeah. You're not nailing a tree and <laughs> yeah. going, you know, who knows where into Timbuktu. You're just landing five to 10 feet off the fairway. Yeah. And you just have a little pitch up. But I think, I think disc golf definitely has some questions that have to be answered as we move forward. And what those answers are, are kind of just up to the pro tour. I mean, we, we all have different opinions. Um, yeah. I mean, we have our opinions. The comments have their opinions. Reddit has its opinions, but it, none of it matters without Jeff Springs opinion. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the pro tour kind of controls, you know, decisions right now because no. that's where we're all looking right now for our highest quality of disc golf. You know, as long as they're that governing body that we're looking for, for that, you know, they can kind of, do as they please yeah it, it's definitely it's definitely going to be it's definitely going to be interesting um and, and it, i think it's just the the spectators is going to be a, a big part in it because when you're looking at courses it's more and more which i mean right now it's not obviously because of all the covid guidelines mm-hmm. and changes like even us we had to limit our spectators because we could only have so many people on the property and we're a phase three yeah. um the, there's still i think is michigan michigan might still be a phase one event Deglow? Uh, not 100% certain. It's either phase one or phase two. But, you know, the, right now you can kind of do a lot more crowd control than you can in the future. And I think that the future of disc golf will also contain, um, like, you, as a spectator, it's not going to be free anymore. Yeah. That, that, it's already starting to go out the window because, like, Ledgestone, you know, if you want decent parking, you got to pay. I think USDGC, you have to pay for, like, day passes and, yeah. and so on and so forth. That's going to become more normal. People, um, people are going to get really offended as disc golf grows that things are going to start costing money because I think that's, you know, was a big um, kind of lure of disc golf is that like, everything seems to be free. But at the same time, you have to understand the greater good sometimes. And like disc golf needs ways to bring money into the sport. Money, like it, we need it right now. Yeah, uh, We need to be able to have more full-time athletes so that the competition gets better so that the sport becomes more interesting and it all kind of trickles together into this sport growing. Um, so like, yeah, spectators being charged, things like that. Like it's, you know, it's gotta be gradually introduced, but it needs to happen. Yeah. You can't just expect money to come from nowhere. Yeah. And I think the, the money thing too, 
something people will will realize is like disc golf will always be cheaper than ninety other ninety percent of other sports. Yeah, because you know this the difference between like disc golf and ball golf when it really comes down to it is this is not really your club. No, it's your ball. Yeah. And so therefore, like you're gonna lose it, and you're gonna have to keep replacing it. So whereas in ball golf, I can go buy a five hundred dollar driver. And I can just keep hitting that thing and I'm not going to get rid of it until I want to get rid of it. Yeah. That buzz, I can, I don't have any control over when I lose that <laughs> thing. It's going to yeah. take one, one more hero shot over the water and she's gone forever. Yeah. And so that's where the like profit margin and disc craft, disc golf, yeah. uh, manufacturers is going to be a lot different than in ball golf. So that's why our costs are pretty much always going to be lower for the most part because I mean, to maintain courses is going to be lower, stuff like that. But there will be charges. And I think, like, you know, charging spectators, yes, it's going to help limit it some when we're playing, like, tight wooded courses. But at the end of the day, as disc golf grows, the spectator amount's going to grow. And mm -hmm. eventually, we're going to get to the point where some of our favorite courses to watch on tour um, aren't going to work anymore because they're too tightly wooded. And it's not going to be possible for 5,000 spectators to be yeah. out there trying to watch whoever's the top player at that time play. Yeah. That, that's just not going to be realistic anymore. Uh, and if the answer is open golf, then we've got to get creative to make disc golf not boring. Yeah. yeah. Very, very it's, creative. It's going to take some great minds. It's going to take, yeah, some, a lot of thinking and probably a lot of trial and error. So uh, it's definitely going to be interesting. But um, talking about, you know, some of the bigger tournaments, we do have D-Glow coming up, as we just mentioned. Uh, and, you know, there's several storylines from D-Glow. The most, you know, obvious one that we have to go with first is will Paul even have a chance at recreating his 18 under? Yeah, I mean, uh, the 18 under rounds are very interesting to me. I don't even still understand how they happened because I, I don't like I mean, yeah, we, we've seen Paul get into like that automatic mode where he throws like so many good shots consecutively. It seems like he's never going to miss again. Yeah. And I do also think it's an open enough course that like we were saying kind of earlier, you can miss your line by a few feet and be okay. And if your putts on, then you can really, you know, do well because you just have to get yourself within 60 feet of the basket. Um, do I think he's gonna shoot 18 under again? No, uh, it's a short answer. I, I really don't think he's going to, um, I mean, he played all right this weekend, but he definitely wasn't on completely on top of his game. So, yeah. uh, he's definitely gonna have to, you know, elevate a bit at least in the first couple rounds if he's going to get to the point where he's going to have a shot at it i know he'll try for it yeah so he always will try for it um but 18 under i don't know and he'll probably put me wrong but i i don't think so because <laughs> so it's been it's been basically right at two years since he shot it um trying to pull up last year's really fast i think last year his best round was a 51 uh let me see yeah verify that yeah 51 which was 11 down which what's, what i think is crazy about the 18 under and why I think it's still something that gets brought up pretty much every time we come to D-Glow is it wasn't like his 18-under at Waco where the par was soft. No. It wasn't, it wasn't like an 18-under at Peaksview Park where the course is short. It was like a pretty legitimate 18-under of like, <laughs> yeah. like the next hottest rounds were like 52, 53, and he shot a 45. Yeah. Like you're beating the entire field. And you're beating uh, a 52 was 1050 rated, and he shot a 45 at 1108 rated, which yeah. is just 
I think we we looked at um, a while ago on the podcast some of the statistics, and you're literally more likely to be like struck by lightning. You're more likely to be like all kinds of stuff than Paul to shoot 18 under again. But I saw the I saw the uh, post on Facebook that someone it might have even been Discraft or Disc Golf Pros are put out of like, will Paul do it again? And I'm like, I just look at it. I'm like, heck no. Like we'll, we will. It's one of those things that we'll never. I don't think in my lifetime we'll probably ever see a round of disc golf that was like that good. Rating, <laughs> ratings wise we will yeah because i mean even his 17 under at memorial was technically higher rated yeah explain that to me uh, if yeah. that doesn't show <laughs> you how screwed up our rating system is then nothing will yeah how is that rated 1132 as, as if the toboggan course isn't much harder yeah, yeah. how is uh, a 17 under at memorial 1132 and a freaking 18 under at deglow 1108 doesn't add up the literally all it is is the ob on the course yeah and it's just because more people blew up at memorial but i mean ratings we'll have to do a different episode on ratings because i almost just went into the tangent uh i could see it in his eyes and not even like why i don't we we talked about it last week of ratings should they exist for the pro level i'm not talking about that rant i'm talking about the rant of what the heck is our rating system and why do we still use it yeah that's that rant because i mean it's whoo uh, it's uh, not the best thing in the world. My um, my whole thing with the whole 18 under round too is like, do we want another 18 under round or is like, is our narrative now that like we want guys to be shooting not like 18. My thing is like, it's almost like I want him to either shoot 18 under or like don't even be near it so we can have some competitive golf. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm such a hypocrite for that, but like <laughs> I don't want people to shoot like super low rounds Cause like I mentioned that last time, like, um, at the preserve, like I didn't like that people were shooting so well. Well, I think it, it but the 18 under gets us on sports center. <laughs> That's the problem. Well, I think the the difference is it's the difficulty of the rounds. Cause yeah. at the end of the day, That's true. Par means nothing. Yeah. I could go out and I could make a 20,000 foot course and have them all par twos. Yeah. Cause I'm, I, I just decided it's a number at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. But it's how you get to that number. That's impressive. So mm-hmm. that's why the preserve, we had talked about all being close and soft par, whatever you want to call it. That was just the difficulty of the course. Whereas a 18 under at D glow or a course like D glow yeah. is impressive simply because of the round that was played, not necessarily the score that was put up. Yeah. But at the same time, um, I understand what you're saying because I would love to see an 18 under, but at the same time, like I think as long as the average of the field, if we're like trying to look at disc golf par and you know the difficulty of a course, as long as the average of the field is closer to that like six under mark or something, yeah. if Paul or Ricky or Calvin or Simon or whoever pops off a 17 under, then they're just beating the field by that much. So yeah. that's exciting, no matter what. It, it is. is true. Like I mean. Regardless, like even though Paul shot 18 under that time or, you know, both times really, like he had to throw like all really good shots. It's not like, yeah, it's not like the course is easy. Toboggan's a difficult course. There was just a vlog that went up today of Eagle and Simon like playing their first ever rounds at that course. Yeah. And like just like going on and on about how ridiculously hard it was and like the elevation. Yeah. Like it just makes it that much more crazy. Yeah, exactly. So. Because I think that's just like I I 100% stand by the fact that that is by far the greatest round of all time oh yeah and i don't i think even paul would tell you that uh, and the fact that it's not regarded as that just because four numbers next to it is very dumb to me yeah. but it it won't happen again and i don't think any player will shoot close to it including paul in this field i don't think anyone will shoot close i would imagine no. i would imagine hot for this weekend is like 12 to 13 under 
Yeah, and I mean, I think there's supposed to be some weather too. So, oh, I haven't looked at the weather. Yeah, I think there might be rain this weekend. So one other one other talking point that I just thought of is the feature card for oh, Deglo. People are gonna be nice and salty about that. Well, I want to talk through this because I feel like we might not agree here. So I got we had Paul, Calvin, Ricky, and then Brody Smith. Yes. So you know you have Paul, who I think I don't remember exactly the formula for how. Um, the Pro Tour decides their feature card, but it's basically like a fan vote, a sponsor vote, and then is it like the past two champions? Maybe it's like, I don't remember exactly what it is, but the, the performance at previous tournaments come into play, a fan vote comes into play, and then a sponsor vote. Mm-hmm. Looking at the card, I would assume that Brody was a sponsor vote. Because... Could have been the fan vote. It could have been. I didn't actually didn't see the fan vote go It's got up. a lot of fans. But I just know, I think Paul was on it because of... Um, is maybe it's the top. I wish I would have looked this up beforehand. There's something with the performance at the last event. Yeah. I think that's where Paul got onto it. Um, and then Calvin and Ricky are just from their performances recently. Um, and then one of them was probably the fan vote. And then I would imagine that Brody would be the sponsor I mean, yeah. or fan vote. Either way, let's say he was a sponsor vote. Do you think that the round one, the first round he was on feature card, mm-hmm. I was all for it because yeah. of all the eyes it was drawing to disc golf. Yeah. And I think that was, and then they let him post it to his YouTube channel after, which was mm-hmm. a great move by the Pro Tour and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, the second round, like I'm trying to look at it from the marketing perspective, right? You already saw the backlash for round one, but round one, I think made sense to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Round two, what, what's the angle of putting Brody back on it when he's just coming offline? You yeah. know, he, his endurance is pretty much back up to normal. But at the same time, he's still learning a lot. There's still a lot that he has to figure out within his game. You know, I talked to him after the battle for Bedford, and I was like, if you had a caddy who, like, knew your bag and knew what you threw, how much would that have improved you? He said, 10 strokes. Yeah. He's like, because sometimes I just step up to a lie, and I don't have the experience or knowledge yet to know which shot I should pick and execute, so I'm just kind of left to my own devices. And he's like, if I had someone telling me, no, 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 throw this with like on this line. He's like, executing it's easy. I just don't know which disc to pick and stuff like that, which makes sense. I mean, he's been playing since January. Mm-hmm. None of us seven months into this thing knew which disc to pick on which line. Nah, yeah. And that comes with experience. But I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on him being on lead card and, and kind of what's, what's the angle slash goal of it. Yeah, so this is an interesting subject because, you know, disc golf has to... You know, as we get more exposure, you know, these events we're starting to come out with are could be big for how we kind of um, are showing ourselves as a sport, you know, yeah, uh, how we're kind of putting ourselves out there. So if we want to present ourselves, you know, in the best way positive, you know, how do we balance that with the I mean, obviously, you know, we're putting Brody on these cards because we want more viewers. And right now, Brody draws in viewers. Um, So there's like a balance between. You know, yes, we want a lot of viewers because we know people are drawn to watching Brody play and people are still probably curious to see how he plays. Um, My big thing is, you know, we don't want him to be on these feature cards when it if it's not really fair to him because, you know, nothing against him. Obviously, he's new to the sport, but you're going out there with the best players in the world. We don't you know, you don't want to go on a feature card coverage and see some guy shoot. 15 strokes worse than the other three guys yeah and just look out of place that's not that's not a good presentation of the pro tour but at the same time you know it's it's tough because when you're getting so many more viewers because of him 
you have to cater to that to some degree. It's just going to be like finding that point where if it gets a little stale to where like, okay, everybody's kind of seen Brody play, you know, he'll still, you know, maybe make a chase card, get on some film. Um, but like, let's give the feature card to the guys that like are probably have a, the biggest shot of winning. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the tough part is like, so when it comes to Brody's sponsorship and everything, yeah. I've, I've voiced it my opinion. It makes complete sense. When exactly. It, if we're just selling discs and yeah. things like that, like, yeah, he's got I've, yeah. influence. I've voiced my opinion on that multiple times. Yeah. People who say that he doesn't deserve his spot in the sport, he doesn't deserve his spot on Discraft's team, that, that's honestly just ignorance. Yeah. Because, like, a sponsored spot isn't just about your play. If it was just no. about your play, there'd be way more sponsored players than there are today. Yeah, a sponsor, It's about your play and your ability to move plastic. Yeah, a sponsor wants to make money. That's why they're sponsoring you. Yeah. Because they think, if this guy is carrying my product, it will sell more. Here's, and that's absolutely true. Well, the, I mean, look at it from this standpoint. There's only been two players that have broken Discraft's website. There's been a number of drops on their website. And yeah. the only players that have broken it has been Paul McBeth and Brody Smith. Yeah. If that doesn't show you why he's sponsored, nothing will. Like, the... The guy can move plastic, yeah, right? But that's where it makes sense for Discraft, mm -hmm. okay? Where it's the Pro Tour, the first round at Waco, perfect sense. The dude's first big tournament. Oh, well, yeah, sure. You know, it makes perfect sense. But I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense, too. Like, you're almost doing Brody a disservice. Yeah. Because you're putting him in a, in a position where he has to, he's going to feel like he's falling behind constantly when realistically, he, he's playing with the guys that there's a chance they're coming first, second, third. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're the best of the best right yeah. now. And so Brody's goal right now isn't to come first, second, third. No. And, you know, yes, he wants to get there. But if if I'm Brody, I'm eyeing that like 20th place, like top 20. Mm -hmm. that, if I had to put Brody at like when he's playing great, where is his skill level right now? Honestly, yeah. it would be like 20th place. Yeah, like I he, mean, he can shoot 1,000 rated golf. Yeah. We've already seen it. So like it's but not that's like... The thing. Let's yeah. say he goes out and pops like a 1020 rated round like, D, like he did at DDO, 1018. Yeah. 1018 rated round, first round. He's still going to be down most likely five or six of the card. Mm -hmm. So that's going to like in his head, he's going to be like, oh, man, that wasn't a great round. When if he would have just been put with the field, you know, he'd have been building confidence, learn, which he's probably very confident in general. <laughs> uh, I know from a fact he is, but I'm just saying the the tournament confidence is a whole different ballgame. Sure. Yeah. To be able to go out there and know I can perform. So if I was Brody, if I was the pro tour, because Brody will rise to the occasion. Oh, so yeah. my first round, he's shooting over a thousand rated is my prediction. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's going to embarrass himself out there. He's a completely different player than he was when he played at Waco. He has a lot more experience, but if I was the pro tour and I'm looking at this, I'm putting him on like third card. Yeah. I'm putting him on that, like, like a central coast or gatekeeper media type of coverage where yeah. there's video coverage of him. We put the live card is like Paul Calvin, Ricky and... Kevin Jones or yeah. Adam Hammes. He's been tearing it up. Someone like that where it's going to be competitive golf all around. You know, it's still a super entertaining card. Yes, the viewership will not be the same. Yeah. I fully get that. And I, I think it's probably really tough for them to say, let's go ahead and toss them on a Central Coast covered card when they know they probably are looking and seeing what their revenue looks like when Brody's on their lead card. And it's probably significantly more. So it's, do you, <laughs> it's so, probably hard to do. Do you think that if this first round wasn't behind a paywall, would they make the same decision? If it was going to be posted on YouTube. Well, is it another thing is, is this even the Pro Tours decision that's being made? Or is it? Or is it just Discraft saying we want Brody in front of more eyes with, within the disc golf world of him playing? 
Yeah, that's... <laughs> Either way, all I'm saying is, and I don't know, I actually haven't talked to Brody about being on feature cards. So I don't know how he feels about it. I'm sure he's probably stoked. But I just disagree with the decision personally. I, I, it's not that someone deserves it more. That's not the right word. The, the de- deserving it isn't the right word. Yeah. Because if anyone deserves to be on a card, it would be Brody in the sense of how many eyes he can bring to the sport. Yeah. That side I get. But I think it's almost being a disservice to Brody and like you were, like we just talked about the the fact that he's not going to be competitive with that feature card. Yeah. Uh, and if he is, he's either playing way above what he's shown to be capable of playing, or the feature card isn't playing great. Mm-hmm. Just because he's not at that point yet. How fast he's progressed is insane. And mm-hmm. so I think a year from today we're having a completely different conversation. I think you know a year from today he might be a top ten, top five player. Because his drive's that insane. But in the current state of Brody's play, in the current state of the Pro Tour, you know, I think that his realistic goal should be like third, fourth place, or not third, fourth place, third, fourth card. Yeah. Which, you know, if he started there and was saw, like, saw he was like him and three or four other, like, noticeable names, and he was on coverage still, I think that would be a much better place and a much better decision by, if it's the Discraft choice, if it's the Pro Tour choice, you know, it's hard not to make the money decision. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I know that's going to be a big talking point, And I know there's, there's going to be a lot of people upset about it. Well, sure. Um, what I'm always curious in or interested in is if I see a post on Instagram or whatever, and you might not be this way, but if I see it and I disagree with it, that's when I'm going to write a comment <laughs> yeah. personally. I'm never going to see a post unless it's something like, like you just got engaged. A yes. post like that that's like positive. First off, comment down below, congratulate him. Thank but you. a post like that that's positive that you're like, oh, dude, congrats. That I'll comment on. But a sure. post that just like makes me feel like neutral or like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Like if like I'm not going to comment on it unless it's like over the top. But yeah. then if it's a post of like something that sucks or I disagree with something, I'm going to comment on it. So part of me wonders when we see decisions like this, when we see something with Brody on Feature Carter, really when we see anything with Brody in general in disc golf right now, yeah, how much... I don't think that the social media posts and stuff are really telling the true tide of disc golf currently. No. Cause I think there's a lot more Brody supporters and people who like want to see Brody succeed and are like diehard Brody fans. And there are people who are keyboard warriors yeah. telling like saying how much it sucks. The majority can be silent a lot of times. And then there's like an, a social media is a prime example of this. Cause like one of the big examples is, um, like ESPN's accounts, right? We're seeing a lot of Tiger Woods, LeBron James, um, Tom Brady, you know, those kind of names. And all you ever hear is people complaining, oh, especially Tiger Woods, I hear this a lot. People complain, you know, whenever Tiger's playing, it's all we see on the coverage. It's all ESPN posts about. Like, I just can't stand it. And there's a reason ESPN's doing that. It's because yeah. it generates the most clicks, the most views, the most money for them. Yeah. Um, you know, if if the majority actually wanted something else, they would change it. These, the, you know, these companies have to listen to what the majority says because that's the way they're going to be the most successful. Um, so yeah, I think that might be the case with the Brody thing too. You know, the people who are very outspoken might be the loudest, but they might not be the majority. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think it was, I don't know. I thought it was interesting because the, I think the first time made a lot of sense. And I think the second time, uh, first off, I think the second time will silence some of the haters because some haters are still saying that Brody sucks, which yeah. that isn't the case. He's not bad. So you'll you'll see him play, yeah. and you'll you know unless he has a bad round, he's probably going to put off something like thousand plus rated, yeah. which 
you know, realistically, the majority of us, me included, like if I went out and played today, I'm not putting up a thousand rated round. No. Have I before? Sure. But I was a heck of a lot a different player <laughs> than I am right now. And I feel like that's like a normal disc golfer isn't shooting thousand rated. Yeah. If we were, there'd be the thousand rated wouldn't be a thousand rated. That's mm. the whole point. Yeah. Um, so I think that he'll silence some of it in just his play. But I do think from just like a what's... I don't know. I don't even know where my stance comes from. It might just be coming from like, I want to see Brody succeed. And so that's why I'm like, it doesn't really make sense to put him here because like from a pro tour standpoint, it makes sense from a disc craft standpoint. It makes sense because you want the views you want people to want to watch disc golf. And mm -hmm. from disc craft standpoint and bringing more viewers with Brody, you're bringing more viewers to Paul, your best player. So from that standpoint, it makes sense from the pro tour standpoint, you're bringing more paid subscribers. So that makes sense. So I guess the only place it doesn't make sense is when I'm thinking about Brody's play. And yeah. maybe Brody looks at it a different way. Maybe he's looking at it as I get to see where I'm at compared to the yeah. best of the best. I do wonder that like in, you know, when Pro Tour, whoever's meeting about this, if they're if their kind of strategy is, okay, we're basically we're gonna do this a certain amount of times and then just stop, or if they're like, Okay, we'll keep doing this until he's shooting consistently below a thousand rated, then it makes really no sense. Then we'll take him off. Like, where's their breaking point for like okay, yeah. no more Brody on feature cards? Yeah, it's a, I don't know. And, you know, I probably they probably aren't even having uh, that meeting. Yeah. They're probably what? just like, meh, who's going to be on feature card this yeah, week? Yeah, it, it looks good on the thumbnail. It looks really good. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, outside of that with, with D-Glow, let's look at some um, predictions. Who do you have taking? Let's go. You want to go top three? Sure. Let's yeah. go top three each division. And then we're going to do, uh, we're going to start this new segment called Dark Horse Pick of the Week, um, which is, which first off, I think it's funny because it's titled Dark Horse, but I think it should be a rule we can't pick Brody. No, we're gonna say nine eighty or lower rated players. Which Brody still fits into that, correct? Does, he or is at? he nine eighty on the dot now? Nine seventy two. Okay. So he does. He could yeah. be our dark horse pick of the week. But I think we should exclude him just well, because I'm not picking him, so <laughs> I wasn't planning on it either. But so anyways, we're gonna go into that. So we'll pick our top three for each division and then we'll pick the one player, men or man or woman, that we think might finish well above where they should based on the numbers next to their name that mean nothing. Yeah. So Okay. So you want to pick your top three first? Yeah. So MPO, we're going to... So my top three, I know like who my top three are. You just got to pick the order? Just got to pick the order and it's tough. I, I'm all right. I'm giving the win to Calvin Heimberg. You're giving the win to Calvin? <laughs> yeah. I, I think this is the one where he finally breaks through. He has like three consecutive second places and like... I just think he's an animal, and I think this is the week where he finally gets it. Um, he can bomb. You know, he has controlled drives, so I think this course will fit his game just fine. Um, good wind player. You know, we've seen him play well at Las Vegas and Memorial and such. So, yeah, I think Heimberg with the win. We'll say Paul in second. You know, probably really close, but we'll say Paul in second, and then I'm going to give Nico third just coming off of the back of his win. Uh, I think momentum will play a part in that. So our top three is kind of similar, but um, I'm going Paul with the win. I think he's won this event two years in a row. I think he's going to, he might have even won it more than that, but I just think that with Discraft, this event, he just feels like at home. You know what I mean? It's just one of those events where he's there, Bob's there, all the Discraft guys are there. It's like a, he just, yeah, I think he's just going to feel too good not to win this event. So yeah. I'm going Paul first and then I'm going Ricky second. Ricky, this past weekend, we didn't talk about it in the results, but this past weekend, he played um, the Severin Lang Memorial, um, which was in A-tier, 
and he took it down with some decently impressive golf. Uh, I think it would have been rated higher if some more bigger names were there. Um, he beat Corey Ellis and Garrett Gerthy. I always want to say Guthrie, and I don't know why. Um, but anyways, Ricky went 10-42, 10-29, Again, that was probably would have been a little bit higher yeah. had bigger names been there. But I just feel like he also won the Silver Cup you know, two weekends ago and then fourth at DDO. He struggled a little bit preserved. But I feel like Ricky's getting back to the Ricky we've seen. And so, Which is great. I missed it. To me, I'm saying, I'm saying Paul first, Ricky second. I was gonna say Calvin Heimberg third, but thinking about this course more, I'm. Mm, do I want to do what I'm about to do? Or yeah. Do I want to stick do with it. Them? Should I do it? <laughs> yeah. See, I'm going Kevin Jones. I'm going Kevin Jones third. Respectable. He's been playing good golf. He's, he's been playing decent golf, but the reason I almost didn't want to is like he went sixth. 17th 14th he had a stretch of first places from may to june with uh let's get back to golf the rumble flex start the rumble and the majestic you know all wins but then he went sixth 17th 14th at some of the bigger tournaments so i not feeling great about that pick but i'm sticking with it so we're going paul then ricky and then kevin jones rounding out my top three okay uh and then i'll go ahead and roll right into the open women Paige pierce is taking it down that one's an easy one. I'm going uh, Missy Gannon in second. She's been kind of tearing it up recently. Yeah. Um, she she has kind of had a pretty hot start to her year or her second year, uh, second part of this year. And then third place, I'm going good old Katrina Allen. Uh, she she always her putting always keeps her from winning, but her throwing always gets her in the top three. Yeah. And so like I feel like she's as consistent as Paige. When it comes to being off the tee, and like I feel like her finishes are going to be pretty similar to that, so I'm going with Katrina Allen in third place. Um, and again, if she could just figure out whatever happened to her putter, I think she would be pushing Paige again. But I, I don't see relatable. I don't see anyone <laughs> I don't see anyone beating Paige. She's also only two points outside of 990. Yeah, which is where she's basically with pretty getting pretty close to being one stroke off thousand rated play. Yeah, I I think she'll be there at least by the end of next year. Um, but my my top two are the same. I think Paige Pierce wins easily. I think this course caters very well to her game. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Missy Gannon's been on fire lately. I'll take her in second. And then third, I'm gonna go a little bit different here. I'm gonna go Haley King. Oh, that's a good one. Um, super talented player. I feel like has a pretty high ceiling. And one of the best forehands on tour. Yeah, very good forehand. I would sure trade for it. People always say. Sarah Hokum, whenever I, I, I before have called Haley King the best forehand player on tour, and people yeah. always come after me because of Sarah Hoka and Jessica Weiss. But Haley, Haley King's forehand form is very pure, tops both of them. Yeah. And so, yes, Sarah Hoka might have more control and more distance, but Haley King's form with a forehand is like the smoothest mm-hmm. guy or girl, one of the like better forehand forms in the game. Yeah. Her distance isn't quite as good as like a Sarah Hokum is, but yeah, I just think she has a she's super talented, and I think yeah. this could be a breakout event for her. All right, so let's go dark horse pick of the week for you. Who who you picking? And yeah, we got to hear the rationale behind these. Well, picks. all right, I'm making a bit of a homer pick here. I'm going with my boy Justin Rozak. Oh boy, yeah, this is my uh, my teammate at Liberty. For you know, a, I, for a semester. I say, oh boy, but really, it's not a horrible pick. Listen, Justin Rozak is for real, all right? We were all wondering it, and then he came to the battle for Bedford this past weekend, you know, looking as confident as always, and played really well, and like, you know, could have been right in the thick of it. Tied yeah. for third. Um, 
he's going to be playing a lot of like tour events. So, yeah, I mean, he went a thousand one thousand four at the Battle for Bedford. Yeah, his game is no joke. You know, he's got good distance, can throw a lot of shots, just plays a lot of disc golf, and is getting good really fast. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad pick, but it's nowhere near as good as my pick. Okay. Which, first off, I need to preface this with an apology for how I'm about to pronounce the name because I don't know how <laughs> just, to. Yeah. I, I've been following this guy on Instagram for a while. Okay. Uh, his Instagram, I believe, is Basket Case Disc Golf, which is a mm. lot easier to say than his name. Okay. Um, but Phil, I'm going to say it the way I want to say it, which is Phil Delon, but I think it's Phil Delonier. Ooh. So we're just calling him Phil. It's a Michigan guy. Yeah, he is from Michigan, Detroit area. But if you look at this guy's recent finishes... Uh, you know, he obviously he played a lot during June and stuff and, you know, pretty average golf. None, none of them were big tournaments. So it's hard to tell kind of what a, you know, 11th place at a B tier that could be last place. You never know. Yeah, yeah. But if we look at the silver series, he came in tw- silver cup, sorry, silver series, silver cup, 20th place. Respectable. He's 963 rated, mind you. 20th place. But then the Jackson Open last week, which is a decently, you know, a, a decent B tier. He went and came in second place, popping off a 10.57 rated first round. So That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nearly 10.60 golf. You're not doing that unless you're a pretty legit player. Sure, yeah. So I'm, I'm just sticking with my gut here. As soon as we said that we were picking a player, I, this guy immediately came to my mind. Um, pretty sure he's sponsored by Discraft. I think he's on the underground team. And I, I don't know. I, I could be completely off there, but a 20th at the Silver Cup. I mean, that's that's no joke. And then second in a B tier the weekend yeah. after, I think he's feeling pretty hot coming into this event. So I guess we'll say, you know, whoever can shoot the most points above their rating for the tournament. Do we want to do winner. that or just who beats each other? Well, I had I took a higher rated player. I don't care about rating. Okay, fine then. We, we, okay, if we're, if we're going to no, sit no, here. No, no, no. Back to what you said. If we're going to sit here and say that the number next to a person's name doesn't matter. You're, you're we right. got to live up to this. Hey, the ne- the 963 <laughs> right there. It means nothing. I don't have a problem with this because I have the higher rated player. It means nothing. We'll find I'm out. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> we'll find Phil, out. if you listen to this, I hope it pumps you up and you destroy Justin Rosek. Justin, you better not lose. Justin, you have a special place in my heart, but my boy Phil's coming for you, so I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm saying like the, I think that's the whole point of this segment is ratings shouldn't matter. Like who, a 960 rated player shouldn't have come top 20 at, you know, he was beating... He tied Eric Oakley, beat Philo, beat Trevor Harbaugh, beat Chris Clemens, beat Noah Mintzma. You know what I mean? Like, that should be a story. Beat Casey White, beat Bart, beat AJ Carey, Anthony Barella, Nate Perkins. Why does the 963 next to his name, which at that point was 968, that shouldn't define it. You know, so I'm saying that when we do this segment, the points don't matter. Kind of like, uh, all right. Whose line is it, anyways? Okay. The game is made up, and the points don't matter. <laughs> all right. But uh, I, that's what I mean. That's what I'm comfortable with it. Okay. Yeah. Sure. We'll uh, see. All right. Well, next week you're gonna see Trevor balled up in a corner crying because no. of no. Justin Rosenack's performance. And Justin's putt, we trust. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the final thing we wanted to do to kind of round this uh, podcast out is um, we've done something similar before, but not quite the same. If you had to take your own game, and in the comments, join us in this game. Uh, if you're listening on audio, go over to our YouTube channel, Griplock Podcast, and, and join us in this game. But in the comments, uh, basically what you're going to do is you're going to take 
three player attributes to add to your game. You've thought through this already. Yes. Because I can see your answers in front of me. So I'm going to let you go ahead and take it while I think about what my uh, answers are. Those are be. not my answers. Those are examples. Oh. Yeah, think again. Wow. Okay. I was never going to give you my answers. <laughs> so you, you take your own game and what you're confident about in that and then build attributes from three other players, add it to your game to make yourself as good of a disc golfer as you possibly can be. Yeah. Run with it. Okay. So number one, and these are kind of things I'm jealous of almost. That's I think that's kind of how I picked these subconsciously. I was like, I'm really jealous of these people's ability to do such things. And that's why I want them. Um, so number one, we're going with Simon's effortless distance, not just his distance, because if we were going just distance, I might take Drew Gibson, but Drew Gibson looks like he's trying to throw hard. That's Simon true. Lazard just like swings his arms through the air like a fairy and it, the disc goes like 600 feet. That, yeah, that's he valid. doesn't have to try. And I envy that because I feel like I have to try so hard to throw like 300 feet that, you know, it just takes away from the fun of the game sometimes <laughs> when, everybody, when everybody else is throwing putters like they're not even trying. So I want his effortless distance. Number two, um, I'm going to go with Michael Johansson's careless putt, his carefree putting. He just walks up there. <laughs> Are you thinking this is based on how they look doing it? The results speak for themselves. It's not just how they look. It works. <laughs> but if you're picking a putter, why are you picking MJ? Because he's dirty. And he doesn't... To like, a certain degree. He doesn't even care. But like the doesn't care part shouldn't matter. No, it does to me because I care a lot. And I think if I cared, <laughs> I think if I cared less, it might be a game changer for me. That's the thing. Like I'm a head case when I putt. So like if I had his attitude, I think... Like, forget his ability, just the attitude. He okay. walks up to his putts and just tosses that sucker at the basket like as if it doesn't matter ever. I want that. And number three, I want James Conrad's hair. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You, you literally picked all based on look. Yeah. <laughs> I might. I, that was, I just feel like I'm conceited now, but... <laughs> Why, why, like, you wouldn't pick up someone's forehand? No, because, like, it's, it looks majestic, and he had a signature disc with his hair My on. thing is, if you're, if you, <laughs> if you have MJ's putting. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I want MJ's hair, to be honest, that ponytail. <laughs> okay, if you have MJ's putting, Conrad's hair, yeah. and Simon's effortless, effortless distance. Effortless distance, not his backhand form, just his effortless distance. Yeah. You're not on tour. I don't care about being on tour. But then no one knows who you are. That's okay. That's never what this is about. This is just what I want. <laughs> I thought this was about I wasn't trying to get myself to be a world champion. I'd have been like Paul's backhand, Paul's forehand, Paul's putt. I thought you were, I thought we were picking stuff to make us the best player we could possibly mm, be. It's just I just said the the attributes that you would want to add to your game. And I just picked the ones I wanted. Okay. So, I fully misunderstood so, this yeah, game. So go ahead and take your stupid little old Simon's or uh, Eagles forehand. Mm. Like, I don't care. That's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, I know it was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll think through this. So no, I'm going to say the ones I have, because I think that this is what would, this is what would make yeah, me no, the happiest. I mean, yeah, I can pick dumb things and that's just who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting comrades here. I know. I'm going Paul's frosted tips. I'm going. Yeah, no. all right. <laughs> I'm going. Paul's putting. Nobody wants that. Paul, mm, do I want Paul's putting? I'm going Paul's backhand. Yeah. Paul back. Uh, Paul is an underrated backhand player. Even though he's like one of the best in the world, I think people just like because he's so good at everything, they forget how dirty his backhand is. Yeah. Like if you're picking someone who you just want to throw a, a dead straight tunnel shot. You're not picking someone. He throws the Paul. disc flat better than anybody else. Yeah, which is why he's just so hard with to a do. buzz in his hand is just ridiculous. Yeah. 
So I'm going Paul's backhand because I think he has more control than 99.999% of the, the field sure. with a backhand. I'm going Eagles forehand because to be able to have that distance forehand, I mean, it's insane. It's ridiculous. If I wanted to control or touch, I would probably go germ. But I don't want controller touch. I feel like if you... I just want to throw a four. I, <laughs> if you took... Like, I have decent enough touch that, like, I can get a forehand close to the basket. So, if I had eagles distanced on my forehand instead yeah. of throwing, like, 150-foot bombs... Well, sure. If I could throw, like... If I could throw, like, 450 to 500-foot forehands... Just imagine watching that disc come out of your hand. It just wouldn't be... Imagine your elbow when you're releasing that thing. No. Like, that would be so painful. I have, like, no ligaments in my elbow already. Yeah. Uh, and then my third one... I need someone's putting. I'm, I just have to rebuild my whole game, basically. Yeah. So I need someone's putting. James Conrad's putting. His outside the circle putting is ridiculous, is but I don't. My mental game, I have to keep my own mental game. It would not do good with a spin putt. So I can't go spin putt. Okay. So I've got to go. You know, to be honest with you, this is a weird pick. Not really, but so I, I think I'm going. High for that. <laughs> I think I'm going with Brody's putt. Interesting. I feel like there's definitely he better putters really on tour. He doesn't Don't have a jump wrong. putt yet. But you see, I already suck at jump putts, and I feel I like can't. if I'm, if I have Paul's backhand and Eagle's forehand, how much am I gonna need to jump putt? Making an excellent point. So, because I mean, if I'm outside the circle, it's I good might. Putter. If I'm, that's what I'm saying. Inside the circle, I don't think I saw him miss inside the circle. Inside the circle, weekend. he's a great putter. Yeah. And he has the same putting style that I like, where I'm mental game wise. I'm probably thinking way too deep into this, but mental yeah. game wise, I would be terrified if I was a spin putter. So that wouldn't work for me. <laughs> but if I'm outside the circle, I'll just throw Paul's backhand. Sure. Because that's going in 99% of the time. So who needs a jump putt if you have Paul's backhand? I'm still crying from the freaking James Comrade hair. That Thank you. <laughs> I literally haven't recovered yet. James, send me one of those, those hair discs. <laughs> send me a lock of your hair, please. <laughs> Put it in the mm, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week. We do have some news, which we probably should have said this at the beginning. We're in our new headquarters. We still have a lot of upgrading to do. Um, this wall setup is not what it's going to be. Uh, we're going to get the Grip Locked logo behind us. We're going to change up the whole podcast studio, to be honest with you. Hopefully, you haven't been able to hear the echo around us. We have um, cardboard boxes stacked up to right here uh, on both sides of us to try to dial that back. But we have foam on the way. Um, which will help with that and also just a rug to go down and some other stuff that will will help the, the audio quality but um, hopefully it wasn't bad it's hard to tell what I'm hearing through the headphones and what I'm hearing because the rooms just echo yeah so uh, hopefully it was good for you all we also if you're a local uh, and listen to us we just added local pickup to our website um, now that we have a physical location um, so when you're checking out you can choose that to have free shipping and then you can text uh, the number on there to set up a time to uh, Come by and pick up your disc in your order. Um, I think that's pretty much it. You know, we, we just dropped uh, the Blame the Tick stamp, uh, and that was a, a big success. We didn't expect it to be as popular as it was, or we would have ordered more, but, more. you know, it was still great. Uh, and there's also, we just put a big-time merch order in. A lot of stuff coming. Yeah, a lot of different apparel. Um, if you're looking for apparel and you loved some of the Supreme Flight stuff we've done in the past and... We've also we're doing some stuff we've never done before. Yeah, some keep an eye out for some uh, new products. Oh, that not are, even not even just apparel. Yeah, we've got think some, outside uh, the box because and you probably still wouldn't guess it, yeah. but we've got some stuff we're really excited about. And it, it, if if this works, this initial drop, if this initial drop works, we have some huge things in the plans. Yeah, that I think I know our audience. You guys will love it. 
I think you'll love this first drop anyways. And if, if you guys, if you're listening to this, I beg you, <laughs> make this first drop so successful that we have no choice but to do the second option. Yeah. Please. So if you're any, at all curious what the second option is, you got to go with the first option first because the second option is, it's a game changer. Now we just sound like we're talking cryptically, but... Well, we are to a certain <laughs> degree, but it'll all make sense here about like, mid-August. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we have some some cool stuff that we ordered though for sure, uh, and I, I think you guys will will like it all. So, yeah, if you haven't already and you're listening on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anything like that, go check us out on YouTube at Foundation Disc Golf or at Griplocked Podcast. We post clips on Griplocked Podcast regularly. You can also check out the links in our description. No matter where you're listen, listening to or watching from, to our Discord, Patreon, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. And unless Trevor has something else. That's all I got. We'll talk to you guys next week.